0: Welcome to the King's Church podcast. We are an ACC church based on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. We'd love for you to join us on any given Sunday. In the meantime, we hope this message blesses you. Hey, Ben Naitoko, beautiful Trish. Nitoko, you look so beautiful. It is an honour to be speaking into the legendary King's Church right there in beautiful Queensland, one of the greatest churches in Australia, one of the greatest churches in the world, now led by two powerhouse friends. And uh, I'm just so grateful that God brought you, Ben, and beautiful Trish into our lives many, many years ago. My kids still have the most amazing stories of where you guys were turning Mackay upside down for Jesus. And what a great story, what a great journey you guys have been on. Uh, all preparation for such a time as theirs. Well, you know what? Today we're going to talk about the family. And I want you to come with me to Psalm 68, verse 6. Psalm 68, verse 6. And this is what it says. It says that God sets the solitary in families. God sets the solitary in families. And He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. So if you're like, man, I'm parched, I can't get enough to drink, I just feel like everything is hot and heated and suffocating, maybe it's because you've got a rebellious heart. But if you'll plant yourself in the house of God, God brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But the way that He does that, He does that through the family. Uh, You're probably already aware of this, but the family is an endangered species. I know we talk about the panda, we talk about the white lion, and we talk about the tiger and the rhinoceros, and and there are many, many endangered species in the world today, but none so much as the family. The family is an endangered species. The reason it's an endangered species is because Satan is relentless at destroying the family. Satan is relentless at destroying the family. Why would Satan be relentless at destroying the family? It's very simple. God is a family. God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. God said, let us make man in our image. In other words, let us increase our family. Let us have family. God created you not because He needed a worker. God created you not because He needed a servant. He already had the angels. God created you because He wanted a son and a daughter in His family. Families are attacked by the enemy. So you will find that however you have arrived, you have arrived with levels of dysfunction. If you don't deal with those dysfunction, you will pass on those dysfunctions. Most of us say I would have achieved or I could have achieved if only my dad, you know, I didn't have a dad in the home. My mother was an alcoholic. They were always fighting. They divorced when I was three. And we can we can and blame the dysfunction of our families and then put a band-aid label on the reason that we're achieving less than. And it may bring you comfort but it doesn't bring you deliverance and prosperity. God wants to bring out those who are bound into prosperity. Can I just tell you at King's Church if you will lean in through this magnificent series, God will bring you through these family matters and he will cause you to flourish. Did you know that every single empire, every single nation that flourished in its ascendancy championed family values. None so greater than the Roman Empire. The entire Roman Empire that pretty much governed the entire world at one stage was built, was established in its ascendancy on strong marriage and family values. Marriage, fidelity, morality and championing the family made Rome Rome the greatest and the strongest empire. The demise of Rome, the destruction of Rome only happened that once it became powerful, once it became so strong, it began to pull away at the fabric of what made it great and that was family. It began to compromise morality. It began to introduce uh, illicit and sexual immorality and affairs and begin to bring in perversion, and then the dissolution and the destruction of family. Socrates said this, as it goes with the family, so goes the nation. As it goes with the family, so goes with the nation. When somebody is diagnosed with cancer, we know straight away when we hear that word, oh my God, it's cancer, it's it's a life-threatening illness. They discover cancer, there are cells in the body that are multiplying and the negative cells are eating the good cells. When someone goes through chemotherapy, it, you know, sometimes that's the best the world has. And chemotherapy kills everything, kills the good and the bad cells, hoping that the bad cells will stay dead and the good cells will be the ones that recover. That's the strategy of chemotherapy. You need to understand that the nation, your community, is made up of cells and those cells are the family. And the devil knows that if I wanna destroy a nation, it's very simple, I just give it cancer. And the way that I give it cancer is I begin to infect the cells, the DNA of the nation by destroying the dissolution of the family. A nation is made up of many, many families. And Satan knows if I can kill the family, I can destroy the nation if you don't believe me, study 6,000 years of recorded human history, you'll find whether it's ancient Greece, whether it was Persia, Sodom and Gomorrah, you'll find that every single nation in its ascendancy, strong family values, but in its demise and destruction, there was always a departure from strong family values. Now, let me just say this as we, as we move on. The Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph Bet, has 22 letters from the Aleph, all the way through to the taf. But it's interesting, the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet, for you and I, it's the A and the B or the aleph and the bait. The aleph and the bait, the AB in Hebrew is father. Father, ab is father, AB is father. Isn't it interesting, the very, very first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet spells in Hebrew the word for father. Why is that? Jesus taught the disciples to pray. When you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. Not God, not potentate, not supreme deity, Father. God is a Father. For God to be a Father, there must be children. Before I had children, I was a husband, but I wasn't a father. I only became a father when I had children. The two letters there, Aleph and Beit, in the Hebrew, the Aleph is 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 divine. It is symbolized by strength or the ox. The bait means house. House. Beit Bethlehem, house of bread. Beit el, Bethel, means house of God. So ab is ox strength in the house. The father is the strength of the house. Did you know that The family, the strength of the family is the number one predictor of the future of children. Children that grow up in a home where there's a mother and a father together have twice the rate of finishing high school and doing well, have twice the rate of not only that, but going into the workforce and being productive. Children that grow up in a home where there is no mother or father have double the rate of ending up in drugs, double the rate of ending up in crime. Did you know that 91% of all prison inmates come from father absent households? You better believe there's an attack on the family, but the devil knows if I can attack the father, he's the ox, he's the strength of the house. If I can take him out, then I can plunder the house. Remember Jesus said, "Unless a strong, when a strong man fully armed guards his palace, his goods are safe. But when one's stronger than he comes, he must first bind the strong man, take away the armour that protects his home, then he can plunder his house. The reason the devil has gone after fathers and the reason the devil has gone after families is because he knows he can't plunder the house, he can't plunder your home, he can't plunder your future, he can't plunder your life unless he takes out, unless he takes down the father to dismantle the marriage. So I want you to understand there is a power of God that is flowing towards the family, and there's a power of the enemy that is coming against it. So, let me give you three quick thoughts in just the few moments we have left. The first one, number one, is you have to become. So, the point number one, become. Become. I have found that I had to become what I wanted to walk in, I had to become what I wanted to inherit. When I became a father, I got a title. When I became a husband, I got a title, but just because I had a title doesn't mean I knew how to function in that role. Just because I had a title of a father didn't mean that I knew how to be a father to my children. So I had to go to this book here, The Holy Bible, And I had to go to to God to discover how to be a father because my father ran away from home when he was 14. My father's mother died when he was five. His father remarried. His father turned to alcohol to comfort him from the pain, but became violent, became abusive and became an alcoholic. Unfortunately, my father ran away from his father at 14 with incredible animosity and bitterness and resentment at the injustices and the abuse that he had endured growing up, here's the the challenge. Whatever sins you retain, you reproduce. Whatever sins that that have happened to you that you retain, you reproduce. My father became the exact replica of everything he despised in his father. He became violent, abusive, and an alcoholic. He became the very things that he despised. Friend, your deliverance is in your freedom. Your deliverance is in your forgiveness. The only way that you can get free and the only way you can be delivered is you have to forgive. You've got to come to a place where you forgive. When a pilot gets into the cockpit and the passengers mingle, you know, you're sitting there and all of a sudden you hear, uh, folks uh your captain speaking here uh this is what you never hear uh folks this is your captain speaking here we're just looking at the the instruments here on the dashboard and we got a full tank of gas i don't know where the heck we're going what do you say we just fly and see where we land no 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 when the pilot gets in he tells you uh folks today we're flying to and he has the destination he knows where you're going. In fact, he even knows the weather on the ground is theirs. The temperature on the ground is this. He knows he has a picture of the destination. In fact, it's programmed into the machinery and the equipment of the airplane, the destination. If you don't have a destination, you'll just burn fuel through this life. You need to get a picture of what a healthy family looks like. Unfortunately, the Bible is full of all kinds of dysfunctional, broken families. One of my favourite stories is that of Joseph. Joseph was his daddy's favourite. He wore a coat of many colours, and uh, which is probably not good parenting. If you have a favourite son, don't make it obvious. If you have a favourite kid, don't make it obvious. Unfortunately, Jacob didn't hear this message way back then. So he's like, "Ha! Ah, I love Joseph. He's, a, he's, a, he's my favourite. Hey, kids, kids, he's my favourite. He makes it obvious. So the brothers hate him. Oh, they So they, they threaten to kill him. They throw him into a pit. They sell him into slavery. But what's amazing about Joseph is even though he is in exile in Egypt and even though he's been betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery, he has to learn to become faithful. Why does he have to learn to become faithful is because He knows that if I go to bitterness, it's not going to go well. So he becomes faithful in the midst of injustice, in the midst of a prison, in the midst of all of these things. He stays faithful to God. He doesn't look at the negativity. He doesn't look at why? Because he was becoming the person who God would use to deliver Egypt and save Israel. Remember, God made a promise that a Messiah would come. If Joseph became... There was a famine about to hit the land and there was not enough to save Israel in the famine. Joseph went before them into Egypt and the family followed and they were protected. They were cocooned in Egypt under Joseph's leadership. He was a dysfunctional 17-year-old, a little tattletale on his brothers. But God put him through a process where he was a victim of injustice, false accusation, abuse by his brothers, sold into slavery. Life was cruel and unfair. But instead of looking to what man did to him, instead he looked to God. God became his pattern. God became his blueprint. Later when the brothers came to him and realized who he was, and realized that he'd been promoted to the prime minister of the land, they bowed before him thinking, this is the day of our execution. The Bible says, and Joseph wept. And he says, my brothers, my brothers, do I stand in the place of God? And yeah, you do actually. And he says, well, even if I do, what you did to me, you meant for evil. But God meant it for good. He sent me ahead of you to Egypt. Watch this. He sent me ahead of you to Egypt. Do not fear, do not be afraid, for I will provide for you and your little ones and your families and for all your livestock and for all your cattle. They did evil to him, but watch what Joseph does. He does good back to them. Joseph breaks the cycle, he becomes faithful. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord. I want you to notice it doesn't say he who finds a girlfriend. It says that he who finds a wife. He who finds a wife. For me to find a wife means that, that i got to be a husband because you can't have a wife without a husband. So he who finds a wife. So so maybe you're, you're still dating in dysfunction. You're wondering why. Well, because you're still a boy looking for a girlfriend rather than a husband looking for a wife. There are a lot of people saying, well, you know, I've got my prayer list, Pastor. I've got my prayer list. I want, you know, she's got to be five foot seven, drop dead gorgeous. She's got to be this and she's got to be that. Hey, 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 before you go and, you know, make a list of all the things that you want, there's nothing wrong with that. Why don't you also make a list of what she may want in a man? I have found that a husband is somebody that needs to be fruitful, that needs to be a protector, that needs to be a provider, that needs to be a nurturer, that needs to be a listener. If you spend a little more time on making your wish list, making you the wish list of a woman, you'll find that you'll have a greater chance of getting what you want. Girls, let me say this too. Girls, I just want a cute guy. Just let me say this. Just this is a law in fishing. The bait you use determines the fish you catch. The bait you use determines the fish you catch. If the bait that you use is short here but low there, your catch won't be lifetime. Your catch won't be fidelity. Your catch won't be husband. Your catch will be one night's, your catch will be, that's not what you want. The bait that you use determines the fish you catch. Anyway, I'm just gonna leave that right there and leave that to you. When I got married, I became a husband. But if I was honest with you, I had no idea how to be a husband. When I became a father, I became a father in title but my function had so much dysfunction in it I had to go to the Word of God and God had to show me how to become more like Him. God had to show me how to forgive my dad and I went through a process. I'm not sure whether you realize this but the old English word for the term husbandry, it's an old English term. Husbandry means to take land and cause that land to be fruitful like a farmer does or... uh, someone who owns an orchard or a vineyard causes land to be fruitful. You put seed in the soil and the soil becomes fruitful. That's husbandry. That's why a man can't have a, a man for a husband because the this, this, this seed has no soil to be, a woman and a woman can't be because husbandry is seed into the soil. God is our father. The, the word for earth is the word adamah, adamah. Is the word for earth, ground. God created the ground, the earth. Adama. Adama is female. That's why people call it Mother Earth. The reason it's female is because God with, speaks his word. He said, Let there be, let dry ground, let the earth produce, let from the ground come herbs, trees, plants from the ground. Because God put his seed in the ground, in the Adama, female, and it produced life. A man puts his seed into the woman and it produces life. So I had to learn how to be a husband. I had to learn how to be a father. And can I tell you this thing? You're in the right place. King's Church, under the leadership of Ben and Trish, they will tell you. They've got the stories. Uh, So I had to learn how to be a husband. And let me tell you, I can tell how good or bad a husband I am by the fruitfulness of my wife if my wife is shut down, if my wife is beat down, if she's all haggard looking and down, then let me tell you something, it ain't her, it's me. In 1997, we'd been married five years. We were fighting like, we were just fighting like cats and dogs all the time. In fact, Leanne was so done. She's like, this is not what I signed up for. I was struggling. I I was overwhelmed by ministry, all its pressures and all its demands are my own insecurities. There's one night we have this massive fight and I'm convinced I'm right and she's wrong. She's just being rebellious and insubordinate. She's convinced and she was right. I was the jack wagon. So I go for this walk. I'm going for this walk. I'm like, God, you got to help me, man. This woman, holy. And then God speaks to me as clear as anything. And he says, Jürgen, Leanne is a product of your husbandry. I'm like, what? no. I don't want to hear that. He says, your wife is a product of your husbandry. What kind of a wife do you want? I'm like, oh, man, I thought you were oh, a do-over. Uh, don't make the same mistake the first time. Um, I want a princess. And God said to me, when was the last time you called a princess? I said, well, when she starts behaving like one. God says, it doesn't work like that. I said, what do you mean it doesn't work like that? He said, what did I do without him? I said, "Will you put him asleep under a tree. He goes, before that, I said, oh, yeah, yeah. You said it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So you put him asleep under a tree, put out a rib. wrong. I said, God, it's not wrong. I said, you said it's not good for man to be alone. You put him asleep wrong. I said, God, it's not wrong. Will you quit interrupting? I'm telling you what you said. He said, that's not what I said. I said, right, I'll prove it. Come here in Genesis. Look, there it is. And the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then the Lord, hang hey, that's, you just snuck that in there. God says, no, it was always in there. Do you know that in between God saying, it's not good that man should be alone and then God causing Adam to fall into a deep sleep where he took out a ribbon, brought him his wife. Do you know what happened in between? God did something very powerful. The, the verse in between says, and the Lord God brought all the animals to Adam to see what Adam would call them. And whatever Adam called them, that's what they became. Then he puts Adam into a sleep, removes a rib, and brings the woman. And God said to me, Juergen, your wife is a product of your husbandry. Before I could give Adam the privilege of a spouse, I had to teach him the power of his mouth. Before I could give Adam the privilege of a spouse, I had to teach him the power of his mouth. He said, Jürgen, I watched you. You call her this, you call her insubordinate, you call her rebellious, you call her lazy, you call her. And he began to go through, and I'm too embarrassed to tell you all the things that I called my wife, all the names that I would call her, not thinking that it was having a shaping impact, not thinking that my words were seeds going into her very, very fragile self-image and self-esteem. And he said, Jürgen, if you want princess, you start calling her princess. If you want beautiful, you start calling her beautiful. If you want flourishing, you start calling her flourishing. I've got to tell you, I came home and I remember looking through the window. And you know when it's dark outside and there's light inside, it's kind of like a mirror. She can she can see, she can't see me, but I can see her because the inside is light, outside it's dark. And I looked and there she was just at the kitchen table, just picking up the last fragments of, of dinner that she's just fed the kids. And I looked and her hair was disheveled. The spark that was in her eyes when we were courting, the spark that was in her eyes when we were dating, gone. And I just broke down and wept and I realized she is a product of all my dysfunctions as a husband. And so I made a vow. Now I'd love to tell you that when I told Leanne, baby, I'm changing, that she believed me. Yeah, oh, ah, I was... No, no, it took 18 freaking months for her to believe that I could change. But I had such an encounter with God that I began to call her beautiful. Even when we would argue, I would refuse to name call. Sticks and stones break my, names will never hurt me. Whoever said that, slap them, idiot. Sticks and stones may break your bones, your bones will heal, but names shape Now you become what is spoken over you. So I made a decision. I'm going to speak over her. You are beautiful. You are wise. You are magnificent. You're a shining light. You are extraordinary. You know, we would argue and you know what I would do? I was so naughty and I'm probably confession time and Ben's going to regret even having me speak to you today probably by the end of this. We would argue and you know what I would do? I would get Proverbs 31 and I would leave it on the kitchen table and I would take off and, you know, the argument, oh, yeah, why don't you read your Bible? You're probably backslidden at a quiet time. Oh, it just happens to be open on the kitchen table. And I'd opened it to Proverbs 31. You know, the Proverbs 31 woman, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. She works with her hands. She works with, with, with linen and yarn and all kinds of fabric. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, you know, I mean, this woman is extraordinary. She considers a field and buys it. She's extraordinary. I'm thinking, woman, why don't you read that and become like that? Then God hammers me. And he says, do you want a Proverbs 31 wife? I'm like, yeah, baby, yes, I do. He's like, do you know how she becomes a Proverb? I'm like, no. He goes, read verse 28. I'm like, I've never made it down that far. Like, I got discouraged by verse 12. He's like, get down to verse 28. The secret's there. I'm like, no, it's too, dis-. he's like, okay. So get down to verse 28. Verse 28 says this, Proverbs 31, 28. It says, her children rise and call her blessed. I'm like, not in my world, not in my... He's like, exactly. The father does not let, the husband does not let the children set the thermostat. In this house, when mama walks in, the children rise and call her blessed. My children yelled, my children back chatted, my children disrespected, they didn't rise. This husband refuses to let his children not honour mama. Get up and rise and call your mama blessed half thou, mother. I mean, they arose, they call mama blessed. The Bible says the children ro- rise, call her blessed. The husband also, verse 29, and he praises her. Verse 29, how does he praise her? Watch what he says, verse 29. He says, many daughters have done well, but you Excel them all. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. In other words, what he's saying is that there are many beautiful women. There are many bright and brilliant women, but sweetheart, you are head and shoulders above everybody else. If you will take what the Bible teaches, and I've got to be honest with you, when God showed me this, I began to speak to my bride, honey, there are many beautiful people but you excel them all. Sometimes we've gone out to eat in a restaurant and I'll notice there's a pretty girl on on another table. So I will say, honey, do you mind if I sit here? Why do you wanna sit there? Well, I don't wanna be distracted. You're my princess. You're my beautiful one. I want you to be the apple of my eye. You are gorgeous. And so I would sit there with her and I would love on her and I would make her the apple of my eye. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. The second one is you've got to break the cycle. I told you before, my father was abusive. He was drunk. He was violent. He was angry. My goal in life was when I turn 18, I'm going to beat my dad's head in. Instead, I got saved. And so what I did when I got saved, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to disown my dad. As far as I'm concerned, I'm going to have nothing to do with my dad. As far as my dad's concerned, you know what? I'll just ignore him. i got one father, my heavenly father. God said, Yeah, that's not going to fly. If you want to be a minister for me, then you have to deal with that. You got to forgive your dad. Not only do you need to forgive your dad, but you need to tell him that you love him. I'm like, Whoa, 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 time. Hey, I never heard those words from him. He's the dad. He should go first. And God said, Your father is so broken, he's not saved. So he ain't going to go first. You need to be the one that goes first. You have to go first. You got to break the cycle. You are the cycle breaker. So on my wedding day, I remember I told my dad that I loved him. But when I went to Bible college, my dad, so disowned me, he was so mad that I was leaving mechanical engineering because, you know, Germans are proud mechanical engineers. So Audi, the Porsche, the VW, the BMW, the Mercedes. Uh, You know, the Germans love their engineering. So he was mad that I was leaving to go to Bible college. This was embarrassing for him. And true to his... uh, true to his, his word, he, he literally disowned me. I had I was on my own when I went to Bible college. No, nobody nobody there to provide, but you know what? God came through. God came through, and I went through this journey with my father where God says, I want you to forgive him, then I want you to tell him that you love him. When I told him that I loved him, it was the most difficult thing in the world. I remember hugging him, saying, Dad, I love you, and he's like, you're okay, you're... and he was so, it was so uncomfortable, was so awkward, but something broke over him. He became a different man. See, he'd never heard those words, so he couldn't give those words. Somebody's got to be the cycle breaker be the cycle breaker. You may say, well, my father wasn't there for me. My father was nasty. My father was angry. My father abandoned the nest. Be the cycle breaker. Be the cycle breaker. You stay in that nest. You stay in that family. Well, I never heard from my dad. You're a champion. You're a winner. Well, you break the cycle. You say to your kids, son, I'm proud of you. Look them in the eye. Well, every time we did something wrong, my father would be the first to, are you stupid? Yeah, make a decision. I'm sending a guard over my lips. But you will find it very difficult for you to be what you're not if you don't let God heal the brokenness in your heart. You've got to deal with the cycles of the past. Believe it or not, you are on repeat play and somebody's got to break it. And the power and the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask, maybe Pastor Ben or the team can have an altar call. And if you know you've got to deal with these cycles from the past, deal with them today. Forgive your father, forgive your mother, forgive those things, let them go. Because if they're in you, if you're holding them in you, whatever is in you is really reproduce through you get it out of you get forgiveness Jesus is on the cross the Romans are gambling for his clothes and he says father forgive them they know not what they're doing. you know what the Romans weren't asking nor were they deserving. your father your mother may not be asking or deserving don't Jesus forgave them they weren't asking and they weren't deserving. forgive forgive why? Because you're the one that's bound. You're the one that's in prison. They say that unforgiveness is like drinking poison, thinking other people are going to die. It's only affecting you. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Great prophetic song from Frozen. Then God said to me, I want you to honor him. And I'm like, honor him? Are you kidding me? I got to honor him? Hang on, now you've gone too far. Forgiven him, I've told him that I love him. But to honor him, you name one thing that he's done that's honorable. Name what, and God says, I'm not asking you to honour him because of what he's done. I'm asking you to honour him for who he is. It's the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment. Five is grace in the scriptures. Honour your mother and your father that it may go well with you. It's the first scripture and the only, the first commandment and the only commandment that comes with the promise. That it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. That it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. And so God gave me a picture of what honoring my father looked like. I've got to tell you, it was unbelievably expensive. But you know what I didn't realize? When I dishonor my father, I bring dishonor onto myself. When you dishonor your mother and your father, you actually bring dishonor, you actually bring curse on yourself. You will say, how do I bring a curse? How do I bring this? It's very simple. Every cell in your body carries the DNA of your mother and your father. And when you dishonor them, you bring dishonor onto yourself. But when you honor them, despite what they've done, when you honor them, not for performance, but for position, when you honor them, you bring blessing on yourself, honor. The last one is break the blame game. Break the blame game. Become, break the cycle, then break the blame game. Adam started in Eden. Eden, the woman you gave me. Every marriage, I tell everybody, it's like like flying Qantas. Qantas knows you're coming. They know you're coming. The first question they ask is, how many bags you got? Now, obviously, if it's like Jetstar, they're going to charge you per bag, per weight, and make a big finagle about it. Every marriage is two people coming together, and then what we do is we hide our baggage. We come to marriage with our baggage. That baggage is the source of all... Co- yeah, well, well, if you didn't bring that... I, and yeah. Blaming is the abdication of responsibility. If I blame, well, my father wasn't my wife, if only she, if only he... If I, as soon as you're blaming, you're abdicating responsibility. Now watch this. If you abdicate responsibility, responsibility and authority are two sides of the same coin. If you fail to take responsibility... You have no authority, or you fail to operate in authority. Watch this God gave Jesus complete authority. Remember, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why was it given to him? Because he took all responsibility. He died for sins he never committed. He hung on a cross and was crucified for transgressions he didn't make. There were violations of God's law. He never engaged in, but he took responsibility because he took complete responsibility. He received complete authority. Stop blaming. Stop blaming. You will not reconcile. You will not have breakthrough until you quit the blame cycle. Start taking responsibility. Leanne and I have this. Whenever we have an argument, we're clashing heads, we stop, we pause, and we go into separate rooms and we ask ourselves this question not what did she do what did i do what did i do that contributed to where we are today what did i do not what did, what did i do at the same time she is what did she do we come together and you know usually i have to go first what did you get and i'm like well and then and then she's like yeah that's true that's true and then well what i got and now all of a sudden reconciliation. The ability to take responsibility is the flow of godly authority that will bring breakthrough in your life. I'm kind of out of time. But the Bible says, love keeps no record of wrongs. So don't hold grudges. Grudges come when we blame. Responsibility comes when we forgive. Let go, hold no records of wrongs. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, the Bible says. When the sun sets in the Hebrew, it's the end of the day. We just think, no, it's the beginning of the evening. No, it's not. When the sun sets, that's that day gone and the, it, the night is the first part of the next day. In other words, God's saying, don't let the sun go down on this thing because you're gonna make it a record. You're gonna sweep it under the rug and before you know it, you're tripping over the, all the lumps under the rug. Forgive, let it go. Let me pray for you today. I, I know that we're way out of time. But I want you today to understand that family matters, that God wants to move in family. He wants to restore what's broken. You can become through the Holy Spirit what you're called to be. You can break the cycle and you can break the blame game. Father, I thank You for this beautiful church. I pray for those who haven't received Christ, today they will. I pray for those that need healing and deliverance, today they will find healing and deliverance. I thank You for freedom, I thank You for breakthrough, and I thank You for Your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a treat to be with you. I love Pastor Ben and Trish. You guys are amazing. God bless you, King's Church. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for new messages weekly. You can keep updated on what's happening in the life of King's Church by following us on social media at King's Church GC. Be blessed.